If you would take your scriptures, turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19, we'll be reading verses 13 through 30. Matthew 19, 13 through 30. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for as such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. Now, behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. But if you want to enter into life, Keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have, and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples had heard it, They were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the generation when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, You who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning to your word because of the mercy you have shown us. We come to offer our bodies of living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. We do this because we know this is our spiritual act of worship. Help us not to conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Help us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Open your word to us today that we might learn how to test and approve your will, your good, pleasing, and perfect will. Grant us the grace, strength, and courage to go into this world and testify of your love. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our text this morning is Matthew 19, 13 through 15. Here, Christ addresses children and their place in the kingdom of heaven. As those who believe in and hold strongly to covenant theology, we know children have a very special place In the plan of God. Yes, it is true. Every child born is born with a dead spirit, a bad heart, and a wicked nature. 
They enter this world dead in their sins and trespasses. They have need of salvation from the very moment they take their first breath. This certainly wasn't a fact lost to Jesus, and it should not be anything new to any parent. How many children have you ever seen that did not have a selfish nature and need to be taught how to share and get along with others? You don't have to teach children to see everything as layers and not want to give anything to anyone else. They come naturally with that idea. It's all mine. The reason for that is because of the dead spirit, bad heart, and wicked nature they come fully equipped with. Paul, when he explained about husbands and wives, when he showed how they should act toward one another, he was clarifying that marriage is a picture of our relationship with Christ. He also shows children their duty in this. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long life on the earth. Children have always been a part of God's plan. He told Abraham in Genesis 17, 7, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. How were children in Abraham's household to be treated? At eight days old, every male was to be marked with circumcision, the sign of the covenant. This was to be a sign that these children were covered by the covenant promises. Circumcision did not change their hearts, just as baptism does not change hearts. Neither circumcision or baptism makes them into new creatures. It did offer to them the protection of God until such time as the parents had taught them and shown them the truths of God's word. This was one of the duties the law gave to parents. They were to evangelize, they were to teach their children the truths and commands of God. In Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, God calls on Israel to hear that he is Lord. He instructs them to love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and strength. He also tells them they must keep these things in their heart. They were to teach their children as they sat at home, walked along the way, when they arose and when they laid down. God calls Israel to hear his law, to believe in its power, to apply its principles, and to teach their children its truths. This building up the teaching on this builds up the teaching on marriage, representing our relationship with Christ, showing that the family is to be a picture to the world. The family is to be where those who believe and trust in Jesus Christ are to go and make disciples and be witnesses of the truth they have learned. Let's examine these verses. Let's see what Jesus teaches concerning our children. First, we shall hear of these parents' faith as they bring their children to Jesus at a very early age. Second, we shall look at the error the disciples make as the children come. Third, we will study the favor Jesus bestows on these children and their parents. As we begin the study of this passage, we find parents bringing their children to Jesus. Verse 13a, Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. The first thing, 
first thing that should stand out at you in these verses is the faith of the parents. That's so important. Many had brought their sick children to Jesus to get them healed. But here, here, these parents are bringing their healthy children, asking Jesus to bless them. This should not seem strange in that, that they saw Jesus as either the Messiah or as a prophet, and thus someone who could call God's blessing on those he desired to bless. These parents are showing their love, showing their concern for their children. They want them to have the absolute best they can give them. And they see a blessing from God as something very, very important. These parents saw their children and knew they needed all the help they could get. And here was clearly a man from God. One who had power, spiritual power, and a close connection with God. So they wanted their children to receive a blessing through this man's ministry. They come with their children to ask him to lay his hands on them and pray for them. These parents give testimony here of their respect and admiration of Jesus and everything he has done. They have heard. They've heard of his ministry and how he has done many great things to help people. Remember, Jesus didn't come doing miracles on the order of Moses or Elijah and the other Old Testament prophets. These men all ministered great miracles that spoke to the whole nation. Jesus came to speak to his people. He came to speak to the individual. His miracles were all on a personal level. He came to minister to the people, not the nation. His miracles were really more profound than any that had been done in history past. He had Jesus offered to defeat the Romans. If he had said he was coming to, to restore the nation of Israel to independence, I can guarantee you with a surety that every one of these leaders would have been right by his side. But he didn't come to do that. He reached out to minister to the ordinary people of his day. These leaders cared not for the people. And thus they hated anyone who showed they did. These parents have heard all of these wonderful things he, and he, he did. And they come thinking. If he has healed so many. If he has saved others from the grave then he can surely bless our children in such a way as to help them have a better life. We've learned from this, anyone coming to Christ him, themselves, recognizing their need of a Savior, would do well to also bring his, their children with him. Nathan and Dory did that this morning in bringing Darcy May to be baptized. This is the picture we are given in Scripture through the family. The parent receives Christ and becomes the witness in their family. Through this saved parent, the whole family learns of their need of salvation. They also learn of the one and only one who can save their souls. We as parents have a great duty to lead our children to the feet of the one who has saved our souls. This is not a difficult task. All it takes is a desire to speak to our children about the things we see as important. This shows that liberalism is a great enemy of the gospel. In the early part of last century, liberalism came to affect many churches. In that liberalism, the call was put out to slow down the teaching of the truth to the children. 
Liberalism said they should be left to make up their own minds to what they would believe. They said don't overload them with too much Bible. It became the death knell for many churches. And you need but look to the issues they're fighting today to know that's true. Allowing homosexual marriage in the church. Having pastors, not just men, but also women, filling pulpits who neither love God's word nor live by his commands. A total disregard for what the scriptures teach. Allowing people to believe God made a mistake in their gender and trying futilely, futilely to change it. Those who are following such sins are lost. All churches must watch carefully for these who would take us all down that same road. Why would they want to do that? They claim that they do it in the name of church growth. We've got to make the church grow so we can get rid of anything that offends anybody so everybody can come in. But it will every time have the same devastating results. Dead churches and lost souls. These parents in bringing their children did nothing extremely difficult, certainly nothing dangerous. They simply bring their children to Jesus. They come asking Jesus to bless these little ones, but in the very act of bringing them to Jesus, they bless them as no other ever could. To give your child an opportunity, an opportunity to know Christ early in life, is a blessing that can only come at the hand of a diligent, loving parent. A parent helped by a God-believing church and extended family. The parent is the one charged with the development of the child. That includes physical, emotional, and spiritual development. A mind and heart in a child is easily directed. And the one best suited for that work is the parent. These parents show us that it is a good thing to bring your children up in your faith. What a kindness they have done to these children. They have brought them to Jesus without any doubt that he would give them what they asked. You see, as all parents, these people know how hard and difficult the world can be. They recognize Jesus at the minimum as an extraordinary person, as one with that special connection to God. They wanted his blessing on their offspring. I think you can also learn from this that it is much better to come to Jesus before the world gets you in a headlock. Before it begins to exert pressure on you to conform to its ways. The child that has been trained, trained in the words of scripture and in the ways of God is much better prepared to handle the temptations of life. These parents want Jesus to take their children close and place his hand on them and bless them. This laying on of hands has been around from the very beginning of this world. We see it in Isaac as he blessed Jacob. We see it in Jacob when he gave his blessing to the children of Joseph. This laying on of hands is an act of some intimacy. And that shows both a love and familiarity and displays power and authority. You need to know that whenever Jesus intercedes for you in heaven, here in this world, his hands are upon you as the Holy Spirit dwells in your heart. We learn from this that we must bring our little ones to Jesus because we recognize their need of his work in their hearts. We must also understand that Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father. He's there. 
He's there to intercede for every believer and for the members of every believer's family. Peter on the day of Pentecost said in Acts 2.39, for the promise is to you and your children. Please don't forget your children need Jesus Christ in their lives. As parents, it's your duty to do more than just show them the way. You're to carry them. Carry them in your arms to the very foot of the cross. As these parents come, the disciples surround Jesus. They're kind of acting kind of like his secretaries, uh, protecting him from people coming with frivolous things, I guess. These parents come first to these men. They ask them for permission to bring their children before Jesus. The disciples react without any regard to the serious nature of the request. Verse 13b, but the disciples rebuke them. These men are not operating with the full benefit of the spiritual knowledge and understanding they will have when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They want to protect Jesus, protect him from any kind of distraction that they don't see as worthy this time. They can't believe that children who are not sick would be a good use of his time. They don't just turn these parents away, don't turn their children away. They rebuke them. They don't just just say no. They run them away. They stand between Jesus and these children. Can you imagine what kind of lesson they're in for? When Jesus spoke to Peter after his resurrection, he told Peter, feed my sheep. Then he told him, feed my lambs. I think this is one of the lessons Jesus was beginning to teach his disciples on this very day. They have a duty to reach out and touch everyone they can with the gospel message, be they adults or children. They couldn't believe that Jesus would want to waste his time ministering to these healthy children. They didn't understand the worth Christ gave to every soul who came across his path. This was not some inherent worth all men have before God because we know from Psalm 53.3, men have no such worth in and of themselves. While men have no such worth in themselves, all men, all men are considered by God to be worthy of hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Else why would God have instructed we should go into the world and preach to all? Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. The call to preach is a universal call, and that means the gospel is to be taken to every man, woman, and child on the face of this planet. The disciples refusing these children access to Jesus are showing their error in understanding the ministry of Jesus. One of the greatest calls given to every believer is the call to carry the gospel into the whole world. Understand, we will never be able to reach every individual in this world at one time. There will always, always be new births and more people that need to hear. But by taking the message to families and having children minister to by their mothers and fathers, we can know that this gospel message of salvation, of peace and hope will remain alive for every generation to know and love. Think about it. If just one generation, one generation, stops ministering to their children the gospel, that gospel would be lost. Lost forever. 
The disciples had failed to understand how important this bringing of children to Jesus is. The disciples are about to learn of the love and tenderness of their master. Now, it's, it's not as though they haven't already heard of his love and experienced his tenderness, but today, today they learn an even deeper lesson about it. Jesus does not turn away any who come to him with an open heart, seeking to learn more of him, seeking to receive a greater blessing. It doesn't matter how weak their faith. For if they have faith as small as a mustard seed, he will open his heart and minister to their needs. These parents come bringing their children. Maybe, maybe some of these parents didn't believe Jesus was the true son of God but they believed he had some kind of connection with God. They only have faith the size of a mustard seed. Jesus sees this faith, and he's willing to condescend to their presence. He agrees to lay his hand on their their children and bless them. You see, the scripture tells you about your Lord and about his gentleness. Isaiah 40, verse 11. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them into his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Isaiah 42, 3. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he will not quench. Jesus is waiting. Waiting to take everyone who comes with a broken and contrite heart and to bring them close to his heart and to hold them and nurture them and keep them safe so they can grow and mature into good, solid citizens of heaven. We all need to come to the point that we recognize ourselves as sinners. That means we also recognize our children as sinners. We recognize their need because we saw our need. We needed a Savior. We needed one who would, by grace, deliver us from our sin. Jesus came into this world. He lived that perfect life that we could never live. He died the atoning death we had to have. He won the resurrection victory. And through him, and through him alone, we see the salvation of our souls. One other thing you need to understand from this is that those who come seeking Jesus, who come with faith in their hearts, must not think it odd that they encounter opposition. Everyone who loves Jesus and seeks his presence and his blessing will come face to face with the world and its misunderstanding of what faith is all about. That's what these parents did with the disciples. They came face to face with it. The only way to overcome such ignorance is to come with great importunity. Now, you know what importunity means. It means don't give up. Keep coming. Don't stop when you know you're in the right. Don't be willing to take no for an answer, but to continue to come to God's word and to seek his answers and his blessings by your faithfulness. These parents came to Jesus' disciples, and they made enough noise that Jesus heard them and intervened on their behalf. What we learn in these last two verses is the favor of Jesus upon those who come with this importunity. They come refusing to take no for an answer, especially when it comes to their souls or the souls of their loved ones. Verses 14 and 15. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. 
And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. Jesus first rebukes his disciples and corrects this very serious error they have made. I think you can see from this Jesus declares that the little children of believing parents belong to the kingdom of heaven. Thank you, sir. You must understand this kingdom of heaven to be the kingdom Jesus came to establish and is even now ruling over in this world. In other words, this would be the church or the visible kingdom of God on earth. Children are to be considered a part of this kingdom when they have at least one believing parent. This was the same way it was in Israel. Any male child that was circumcised was a member of the nation. Any child not circumcised was cut off from Israel. Genesis 17, 14. And the uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Membership in the nation of Israel was based on having the sign and seal of the covenant in the flesh. This new kingdom represented by the church is based on faith. Since the parent has responsibility for the child, when the parent has faith, the child is part of the kingdom. That is based on the parent's faith until such times as the child is old enough to accept for himself Jesus Christ. Remember Peter's words in Acts 2.39. For the promise to you is to you and your children. Also the promise of the covenant is I will be your God and the God of your seed. That's wonderful. That's a great promise. God never forgets the children. He promised both parent and child. It's a promise you can stand upon. It's a promise that opens the way to bring your children to God himself. And know he will minister to them because of the faith of your heart. Therefore, Jesus welcomes the little ones. Jesus is always ready and willing to receive any who come to him by faith or any who are brought to him by faith of the parent. Jesus has always shown compassion on the children. He knows children have been affected by the acts of the first Adam and thus need to participate in the fruits of grace coming from the second Adam. Jesus came into this world to save his people from their sins. And the scripture is clear. He will cast out none who trust in him for their salvation. These parents bring their children knowing that they have need of a blessing from God. So Jesus, with an understanding of the parents' faith, receives them. You must understand that parents are trustees of their children and are empowered to act on their behalf. Therefore, Jesus accepts their dedication of these little ones as their own act and promises to keep whatever is trusted to him until the last day when they will become the jewels of his crown. Jesus does not allow the disciples to stop these parents from coming. In Joshua, when the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Nassau went up to set up their homes on the west bank of the Jordan, they stopped at the river to build an altar. The purpose of that altar was not worship but was to be a reminder to the rest of Israel of their part in the nation. In Joshua 22:27, they told the rest of Israel that it is so you 
can never say to us or our children, you have no share in the Lord. Jesus makes that, does that, does not take kindly to men telling anyone they can have no share in the Lord because the call of the gospel is universal, open to all men who will hear and believe on Jesus Christ. This very much applies to the children of believers. God promises in Isaiah 44, 3, I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. The children are to be brought to Jesus. They are considered a part of the church. Therefore, just as Peter spoke of the Gentile believers, so it is with believing believers' children. Acts 10.47, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized? Jesus is willing. Jesus is willing and ready to receive all who come to him. All who brought are brought to him and to call them his own because of the faith of those who are bringing them. This is shown even clearer when the scripture talks about Lydia and the Philippian jailer and not just them being baptized because they believed, but everyone in their household was baptized. Baptism is the sign and seal of the new covenant. It's to be applied to the children of all believers. To deny it to them is a sin. Parents must present their children for Christ's blessing. The way to do that today is to bring them for baptism. Jesus receives these children and does as he is asked. He lays his hands on them and blesses them. Philippians 3.12 says, Not that I have already obtained or am already perfect, but I press on that I may hold, lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. This says that even the strongest of believers does not live by coming to Jesus Christ, but by Jesus Christ coming to him. Did you get that? It's something we really need to think about. We really need to get hold of that. This says that even the strongest of believers does not live by coming to Jesus Christ, but by Jesus coming to him. Or by knowing Jesus. As much as, as by Jesus knowing him, as Paul says in Galatians 4 and 9. But now after you have known God, or rather, are known by God. When you stop, when you stop and consider this, you should understand. Even the smallest child is capable of being known by God. Even though they can't call out to him with their voice or ask for a blessing. He can reach out. He can touch them and make them his own. Isn't that wonderful? Takes it all out of our hands. In conclusion, please do not overlook the message of this passage. It is a picture of God's grace at work in a sinful world. Jesus came into this world to do for men what they could never do for themselves. He did this for his people. His people are those who will open their ears and hear. Who will open their hearts and believe. I beg of you. If you have not listened, if you have not believed, please stop right now. Take time to hear and to believe. For no one will find eternal life with God except through Jesus Christ and his work on Calvary's cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
We've read your word this morning on your love for the children of believers. You have told us that of such is the kingdom of God. Granted to us a church, as a church, the desire and willingness to minister to the children of this congregation. That we may lift them in prayer and teach them the truths of your word. Take each child in our midst and give them wisdom and strength to know you and to study your word. May they be prepared to take this glorious gospel and pass it down to the next generation. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you would take your scriptures.